0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigalski. And today, for round two, we have the man of humbling disclaimers.
1: We have Charles Mulbauer of CB Insights. Nick, why should people listen again? I'm a little bit biased, but Charles Mulbauer taught Armand and I a technique called the humbling disclaimer, and we legitimately three weeks after we recorded with Charles, used the humbling disclaimer to negotiate almost $100,000 off of an apartment building we bought. So I don't know, if you want to get better at negotiating and discovery, give this one a listen. I
0: feel a little bit uncomfortable saying this, but three, two, one, please listen. Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman it's auto reminders for everything. If I expect
1: Charles, welcome back to the show. You know that we start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways, so let's get your three.
2: Actionable takeaway number one. It is more important to raise problems that your prospect may or may not have instead of asking them to tell you their problems or asking them to uncover their problems for you. One way to do that is to say, As you can imagine, we speak with a lot of XYZ teams on a daily basis, or I do, and they share anywhere from one to five or six big things that they're either looking to accomplish or things that they're concerned with or frustrated about. It's either one, two, three, four, and five. I'm curious to what extent any of those strike a chord with you at all, and if not, what do you think comes to mind? Great. What's number two, Charles? Number two... Our listening triggers, there are four or more listening triggers that an AE can pay attention to that should trigger them to stay on point and stay on topic with the prospect and keep the thread. One listening trigger that we have here at CB Insights is if the prospect hints to a problem or a goal that sounds something like, Nick, we might have an issue With coverage in a certain area of the healthcare sector. So instead of moving on, that might is a hint to a problem. And that gives me the right to say, when you say you might have a problem, how do you mean? Or when you say you might have a problem, can you tell me a little bit more about that? That gives you the right to then have the prospect tell you what that means. And then that'll help themselves build the problem for them for you.
1: Round us out, Charles. What's number three?
2: Number three, it's really cool to ask a prospect how they came up with stuff. In other words, if a prospect shares a problem with you that they figured out they have, it's cool to ask them, how did you figure that out? How did you know you have that problem? When did you realize you actually had that problem? I'm curious what happened. Usually, that empowers them to actually tell you a story. And when you get a prospect, as account executives, we're actually taught to tell stories. But what's not taught in sales as much is the power to have your prospect tell you a story about something bad that happened to them. And that question helps you do that.
0: All righty, Charles, we ran out of time on the last episode because it was so good. And so let's do a recap for everybody before we start digging in here. I know you're all about things like the humbling disclaimer. Can you do a quick definition recap of the humbling disclaimer before we keep the interview going?
2: Absolutely. A humbling disclaimer is there to take your insecurity that you might have about asking a difficult question and sharing your insecurity with your prospect to give your prospect the chance to want to save you from that. So, an insecurity might sound like any one of the following. Armand, I feel a little awkward asking this question, but Nick, I feel a little bit out of bounds asking this question. However, Armand, I was brought up as a child not to assume anything, so I apologize, but it sounds like what you're saying is, right? So I can come up with many humbling disclaimers, but any humbling disclaimer, aka anything you feel weird about asking, I feel really weird asking you a direct question, but I was wondering if, and that gives the prospect a chance to say something like, or to feel something like, Armand, don't worry about it. That's not such a big deal to ask that. And that allows a prospect to be more honest with you, to lean in, and to maybe tell you something that they wouldn't have told you otherwise.
0: So one of the things I have a hard time with sometimes is if you take a solution like CB Insights, you sell data on the venture space so that people never lose another deal. I can always ask them, how are you sourcing deals? How long does it take? Yada, yada. Those are easy questions to ask. But I'm afraid to ask the partner of a venture firm, well, how many deals you lose last month that you should have gotten first, right? And so what what might be a way I use the humbling disclaimer on some of those really tough quote-unquote impact questions to soften them up?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I find that just in general, impact questions could be one of the most awkward questions to ask somebody. Because if I ask an impact question in a very thoughtless way, it's not going to land well with the prospect. So I'll give a very simple example, right? If I said, Nick, out of curiosity, what, what's the impact to your role if you don't hit your quota? And you'd be like, don't ask me, what do you mean, what's the impact? That's a stupid question. Who doesn't know the impact? So there are a couple of different ways to ask the impact. One of them is actually raising potential impacts that I would know already to the prospect to let them know I already know like what the obvious impacts are. This is version one. Version one might sound like, Nick, I'm not sure how to ask this question using a humbling disclaimer, so pardon me, but besides the obvious impacts to your role, if you don't hit your quota, like losing your job potentially, or maybe the morale is low for a while and you're afraid of not hitting your quota the next quarter, besides those obvious impacts, like what else might come to mind as something that could be a a severe impact to your role besides some of those things. That's a more thoughtful way of asking that while using a humbling disclaimer. Another way to ask an impact question while using a humbling disclaimer would be to ask the prospect if they have sat back and thought about what the impact might be. It's a thoughtful way to ask. That That could sound something like, Armand, I recognize this question may be a little bit out of bounds. I'm not really sure exactly how to ask it. But, you know, when we talk about the data that you guys haven't had for some time now, I'm really curious, have you guys sat back at all and thought about what the impact could be to the team if you don't have this data in the next six months? And then I end it with another disclaimer by saying, I'm just really curious to understand what it's like to be in your world. So sometimes if I'm asking a very sensitive question like that, And again, sensitive questions in the impact topic happen more often than not, or the sensitivity is higher in the impact topic more often than not. I'll use a disclaimer at the end of the question, also kind of like a disclaimer sandwich, just to make sure that it lands well. So those are two versions to do that.
0: And one of the things that this is sort of leading to is there are times where the prospects are giving you these one-word answers, these two-word answers, right? And it's like, how do you do this? yeah, spreadsheets. How do you do this? You look it up on Google. And it's not going anywhere. And so what do I do to open those folks up and get them talking more in discovery when they're just being a crab?
2: The best way to prevent that from happening is obviously in the upfront contract and stuff like that, just to make sure that they know what's coming. Because when a prospect doesn't know what's coming, they're going to react that way. I find that in my personal relationships That when people don't give you the reasons why they're about to ask a question, then the question by nature comes off as interrogative. So you can prevent that. Sometimes a prospect won't know why you're asking a question, and therefore they won't answer it thoughtfully. But if they know why you're asking a question, they'll be more inclined to answer it thoughtfully. That's one thing. The second thing is, of course, If you're preparing them and you're up on contract, they're going to ask a lot of questions, then they'll be also more inclined to answer those more openly. So those are two ways to help prevent those. But ultimately, if I'm not able to prevent someone from being short with me, (laughs) I'm going to call it out and put myself down either in some sort of self-deprecating manner while using humbling disclaimers left and right. So I might even say, Arman, I appreciate the information you're sharing with me. I could be way off here, so I really apologize. But I'm getting the sense that what we're looking at is not that interesting for you, just given that it doesn't seem like you're comfortable sharing information with me. I could be way off there, but tell me, tell me if I'm crazy. So I'm going to do something like that. Is that a hundred percent? Is that always going to land well? No, but there's a high chance that that will land well.
1: So. Can you talk about how we inoculate ourselves against getting into a situation like that? You sort of alluded to the upfront contract and giving the prospect a sense of, hey, here's what's coming. Here's what to expect. So can you talk through the different elements of the upfront contract and what it looks like to put some safeguards around that conversation?
2: Yeah, sure. What we use here at CB Insights is something that we actually learned from Sandler. We like to give credit where credit is due. So uh, we use ANOT. ANOT stands for appreciate naturally, of course, or obviously, and typically. i will just going to repeat that one more time. Appreciate naturally, of course, typically. It goes like this. Hey, Arman, appreciate the time here. Glad we could connect. Do you have a hard stop in half hour? Yeah, cool. Great. Purpose of the call is to determine whether or not where we are fit to ultimately work together and whether or not we can help you, let's say, with CB Insights, whether or not we can help you track startups and emerging tech and emerging technology. Naturally, right? This is the end. Naturally you're probably going to have a lot of questions for me, assuming this is interesting for you. And of course, I'm probably going to have a lot of questions for you too. Some of which may may be direct just to make sure I fully understand what we can and cannot help you with. Would that be okay? Yeah, that should be fine. Cool. And T is typically, which is one of two outcomes. And typically at the end of this call, Nick, they're really one of two outcomes. Either you really hate what we have to say and there's really zero value, which is not a problem, or there could be enough value here. And this is somewhat compelling for us to talk about next steps. And We'll talk about next steps towards the end of the call. Does that work for you? Yep. So that type of upfront contract, at least the middle, the prospect has given you permission to ask questions because they're going to have questions and you're going to have questions. And that's cool. And they won't forget that.
1: So, the piece you kind of brushed over it in the beginning. You talked about, do you have a hard stop at, at one o'clock? And I posted about this on LinkedIn recently. I posted about the upfront contract, and somebody commented and they said, Why would you ever give the prospect a chance to cut the call short and say they have a stop sooner?
2: How would you respond to that, Charles? It's an understandable question. The way I would respond to that is the more you give prospects an out or a say, the better they will respond. And if you give them an out or a say, hey, is a heart stop okay or not? And they say it's not, you want them to be honest with you, don't you? So if it's not okay, that's okay too. It's okay if it's it's a bad time. Because if they're interested, they want to talk more. And if you say... Actually, I have fifteen minutes. So, can we talk about it in fifteen minutes? You say sure. We can definitely talk in fifteen minutes. We just won't be able to get to probably what you want to get to on the demo, but it's no problem. Let's talk about what you might find interesting, and I'll tell you a little bit about where we can and cannot help. And We'll take it from there. So, we just want honesty, is really what we want. And when we have honesty from the prospect, we always know where we're at. I'm going to say one thing: great account executives are not afraid to know where they stand. They're just not afraid to know. Even if the prospect doesn't want to talk more and they tell you that, they're just not afraid to know where they really, really stand. And as long as you're not afraid, you'll get the prospect to be honest with you. And that's the benefit of doing stuff like that.
1: As a new seller, sometimes I'd get in a discovery call and I'd get really, really nervous and I'd freeze. And my brain would not have, like, I wouldn't know what question to ask to keep the conversation going and me learning more. Like, I literally didn't even know, like, what is the first question I should ask, which might be different depending upon your sale. But like, I would get into meetings, I'd be like, so, um and I'd like sort of wait for the customer to start the business conversation. And that might work for somebody like Armand, who's like kind of direct and to the point, and they'll get into the business sooner. But for me, because like, I, I will make some small talk in the beginning, it just ends up dragging out and out and out. And then if I'm selling to someone like Armand, they hate me because I've talked about the weather for 10 minutes.
0: Hey guys, this is Armand from the future. We just got off recording with Charles Mulbauer for a round two, and he went through a killer three, four, five minute monologue on how to run a discovery call from beginning to end. And so we slice it up, dice it up so that you have one five minute playbook on how to do discovery. Here it goes right now. Cheers.
2: So the quote unquote small talk happens before the upfront contract, but I the small talk that we try to encourage here at CB Insights is actual discussion about something relevant to their team ideally so you know by the way before hey glad we could connect Armand. Do you have a hard stop yeah by the way before we kick off the conversation i just wanted to let you know i noticed that you guys did invest in this company or you just came out with this product and i thought that was really cool i don't know to what extent that was something that you were involved in i was curious to understand thought i'd ask or having a conversation i'm present oh that's really interesting I didn't know that. That's so cool. I think what you guys do is really cool. Well, that's great. So purpose of the call, right? Now I'm getting to the upfront contract, right? Upfront contract. After the upfront contract, this is basically we're doing a roadmap now, right? Once we have the upfront contract settled, we'll say, by the way, was there anything else you wanted to accomplish from this call outside of the agenda that I had? Yes or no? What is it? Cool. By the way, I'm not sure what your familiarity is with CB Insights, if at all. Usually they don't have any. Then I might ask for permission. Cool. Would it be helpful if I gave you just some quick context on a high level about what we do and then we'll take it from there? Yep. The high level context is like 25 seconds max. So that might sound something like, cool, what we do is very simple. We help ensure that you guys have peace of mind around never missing a startup or giving you a high probability of not missing a startup, as well as ensuring that you have all the early warning signals to catch the right startup to spend time with. So... It doesn't have a negative impact on your build by partner or other strategy internally. So that's a little bit about what we do. And now I'm now kicking it off to the prospect. Every innovation team that we talk to is a little bit different. Curious to understand a little bit about how your team operates and how you guys track startups and emerging tech. Cool. I scratched the itch. Now they're telling me a little bit about what they do. So I want to know, one, what do you do? Two, I want to know how do you do it? Can you tell me understand how you guys actually track startups and emerging tech? I'm just really curious to understand. They're gonna tell me how they do things. I, of course, am going to ask a number of clarifying questions. Oh, does that mean this? Does that mean that? Are you separating this, Are you separating that. Oh, got it. After those two points, I am now gonna hammer home the raising problems question, which I did at the beginning of this conversation, which sounds like At the beginning of the call, right, just so you know, I speak with a lot of other teams. This is what they tell me. These are the problems that they have. And I'm curious to what extent either that resonates with you, and if not, what comes to mind, or you can say, I'm curious to what extent that surprises you at all. I like asking that question. Curious to what extent that surprises you. Because if they're in the game, they're going to be like, no, that doesn't surprise me at all. And if they bite on a problem, now I can say, I have to assume maybe you've tried to address that on your own. And maybe either you try to... And you couldn't find the right solution, or you tried to, but realized didn't have enough resources internally to do it. So maybe that's why you're talking to me. But before you ever spoke to me, like, what'd you try to do before that? So I want to get a sense of, like, not just what the problem is, but yeah, this is how we realized it. This is how long it's been happening. And this is what we tried to do about it, but it sucked. And so that's why I'm talking to you. So I'm, as the accountant, like, I always want to know why are you talking to me still? Right? Why are you still on the phone with me? Why, why, why? And so once I have all that information, then, and I peel the onion a little bit, I might even ask an impact question when I'm ready. But I want to get at least a, a fair understanding as to what their pain is. and be like, oh, wow. If sometimes a prospect will tell me a story. When I've asked them, how did you figure out that that's been an issue for you? They'll tell me a story. And I love when a prospect tells me a story because that's like, it's interesting. How often does a prospect tell me an actual story that happened to them where they a competitor found something ahead of them? And I'm like, wow, that sucks. i will be like, yeah, it was terrible. And now there's like a bond, right? But now I can move on. The way I'll move on and say, cool, I appreciate you sharing all that information with me. I'll ask for permission again. I'll say, would it be helpful if I can give you some context on where we might be helpful here and give you some understanding as to where we could help you potentially. Yep, cool. Then I'm going to go into a a greater, more tailored pitch. You mentioned A, B, and C. We do D, E, and F. And this is where we might be able to help you. After that, I'm going to pause and say, I'll pause here and see what questions you might have for me. I'm not going to say any questions you might have for me on that. It's like thoughtless. So I'm going to pause here and I'm curious what questions you might have for me, AKA, because who wouldn't have questions on what I just said? Now I'm going to give the prospect a chance to ask me a few questions. One, two, and three. I'll answer it. I'll answer it. I'll answer it. Then we'll move on to. Great. I appreciate the questions that you're asking me, Armand. The challenge here is, we're just talking about how we might be able to help you, but you're probably really going to want to see it for yourself to make a full determination as to where we can actually help you and where we can't. I guess pretending that we can help you. Do you think it would make sense for us to show you how we can help you on another call? Right. So I'm doing a little pretending, bringing the future to the present, which we'll talk about. Assuming we can help you, do you think it would make sense to talk more about that on another call? Instead of saying, I think we should talk on another call. I think we should. I, I'd love to see how we can help you on another call. I'm not saying I think I love We should, that language is gone from my vocabulary. It's you told me this, assuming we can help you, do you think it would make sense for us to talk again? And if they say yes, great. If they say no, that's another conversation. That's kind of like the roadmap of any just discovery call. Yeah, of course you have discovery and demos that happen at the same time, but it's still gonna have a similar roadmap.
0: I think it would be helpful for the audience to recap like the order of operations that you just went through. And dude, every time someone asks me, like, how do I get started on discovery? I'm literally gonna send them those five minutes of monologue because you literally just walk through a discovery call. So step one, when I was selling insurance, we used to call this the approach. Whereas the first thing you're asking them after you set up that upfront contract is you're asking them, hey, how much do you know about CB Insights? Because if you just start pounding them with disco questions, they're gonna be like, I don't even know what you do, right? From there, you might give them the 20 second, very short, here's what we do type of thing. So after you know how much context they have about CBN sites, and you've given them the little spiel, you ask them how they're doing things today, right? From that point on, you're not going into these crazy impact questions. You're raising issues. So you're not making them cringe like crazy or anything like that. And you're saying, here are the six different things we see when we typically see a situation like that. What do you think, right? So what we've gone through is we've gotten the context. We've gotten their process today. We've raised issues, not as the message, but as the messenger. They've said, hey, this one or this one is interesting. And so you've now identified an issue. From there, now you're in humbling disclaimer land. You're digging deeper into that problem. And ideally, you start to get them to tell a story, right? And so like, how you come to this thing in the first place? From there, now you can start using the humbling disclaimers we talked about earlier in the episode around impact questions. And you can actually start bringing that to a high-level problem.
2: Yep. And I want to say another thing. When you, when you are in humbling disclaimer land, you're also in bringing the past to the present land. You give me a problem, and I want to talk about the past. When did you come up with that? How did you figure that out? Did you ever do anything about it? It sounds like you tried to do something about it, but you didn't have enough resources. Is that what I'm hearing? Cool. You might even ask, I recognize this question may be out of bounds and a little weird, but to what extent do you feel that this problem is big enough to actually potentially invest to solve. I don't even know how to ask that correctly, but I figured I'd ask that cuz it sounds like you haven't really invested any capital of your own to solve that in the past, but I thought I'd ask. Curious how you think about it. Curious how you think about it. Anyway, I think I got a little bit out of hand there. But yeah, you're in the you're in the bringing the past to the present land.
0: I love it. And in a second I want to talk about your other thing which is bringing the future to the present. And so yeah, yeah. We bring in the past to the present. We're getting into the impact of the situation. And then eventually you're doing a recap. We do, this is what I'm hearing, ABC. We do DEF, et cetera, et cetera. And then you're saying, hey, we got five minutes left. Here's the challenge is you're going to want to see this thing before you actually make a decision.
2: I'm just going to delineate after bringing the past to the present. Then I'm going to say, would it be okay if I can tell you, would it be helpful if I share how we might be able to help you? Yep. This is how we can help you. I'll pause here and see what questions you might have for me. What's this? What's that? What's this? Cool. It's this. It's that. It's that. Great. By the way, Armand, we have like five minutes left. The challenge here is it sounds like we might be able to help you. The challenge here is you probably want to see it to make a full determination, pretending that we can help you. Do you think it would make sense to talk about that on another call? So I just wanted to delineate those steps. Sorry if I cut you off there.
0: No, you're good. And then from there, we already have the next steps. And so We've brought the past to the present. We have our full discovery playbook.
2: What do we do to bring the future to the present? Cool. I love bringing the future to the present. As an account executive, it's your determination and judgment call from a professional standpoint to determine when you feel it in your gut, it makes sense to bring the future to the present. Let's assume you feel okay doing it before you schedule that next call. Okay. When would you like to have the next call? Tuesday, 3.30. Awesome. By the way, just out of curiosity, what I didn't ask is I wasn't sure, you know, assuming, let's pretend we end up working together. I recognize it doesn't happen every single time I speak with somebody. But let's pretend we end up working together. How do you guys make decisions on this type of stuff? Right? So I might ask that. I might ask, cool, who else on your team do you think might feel left out if they weren't on the next call? Or who else on your team do you think might feel that it's important for to be on the next call also? Fine. Now, before the demo, you can say, "Let's say you didn't ask it on this call, but you're asking it on the on the full demo call." Hey, glad we can kick off our call. You went over some discovery stuff. By the way, Nick, assuming you walk away from this call saying, "Holy cow, Charles, this is unbelievable!" Like, what what happens next? Like, what happens after that? Typically on your Right, that's like the main bringing the future to the present. Oh, I'd want to have this guy on the call, that guy on the call. I'd want to bring it to procurement, whatever the situation is. You might ask a couple clarifying questions there, right? So that's a big question to ask. A bringing the future to the present example at the end or at later stage of a deal is we're interested and we potentially might be interested in moving forward. Cool. Assuming there is high interest internally. I have to assume, you know, not everybody is ready to move forward. They usually have some concerns, whether it be some security concerns or data concerns. It's different for everybody that we talk to. I was curious what potential hesitations or impediments you think there could be internally, if any at all, that might stop us from working together, right? So I'm going to ask that also. Let's get ahead of it now. Nick, you're probably going to want to talk about it also, You know, a lot of times we hear A, B, and C, curious if that's something that you feel we need to talk about because that could impede us from working together potentially. So those bringing to the future, to the present type of questions is always, always helpful. Sometimes they'll say, you know, I got to bring it, depending on the stage of the deal, let's say it's later stage. I want to bring this to my team. And let's say you have a champion. Cool. I totally appreciate that. You want to bring that to your boss. Out of curiosity, what hesitations do you expect your boss to have about what we talked about today. What do you anticipate him or her having an issue with? I also like to do price aside stuff, right? Price aside, assuming you're, let's pretend your boss is cool with the price. What other hesitations do you expect your boss to have aside from price? This way I can bring up any potential impediments sooner rather than later. So those are all bringing the future to the present type of questions, of course, depending on the stage of the deal.
1: All right, Charles, this has been a playbook episode on discovery almost. This has been phenomenal. We got to move to our final question with you. And the final question is this. We've talked about a ton of good habits that salespeople should be weaving into their discovery conversations with customers. But now we got to talk about a bad habit. So my question for you is what is one bad habit every salesperson needs to break, dump in the trash and stop doing because it's hurting them more than it's helping?
2: Pretending like you have to come across as an expert in your prospect space. I think that's a bad habit. It's actually better to admit to your prospect that you're not an expert in what they do because it's the truth. But you are an expert in the problems that your prospect's team usually wants to solve for. That's where you can thrive.
1: Love it. Charles, anything you want to plug before we hop off here?
2: If anybody has any questions on discovery, that's all I talk about, that's all I think about, that's all I read about, that's all I post about, hit me up on LinkedIn, Charles Mulbauer. I work at CB Insights, and I'm happy to answer any of your questions. It's
1: true, everybody. You ask Charles, hey, man, how you been? How's your day going? And he only responds with discovery-centric things. He asks you a question instead. (laughs) Actually, for real, connect with Charles on LinkedIn. He's got a ton of great discovery content. And stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Cheers.
0: Your top four takeaways from the episode with Charles Mulbauer include, number one, don't ask your cringy impact questions. Instead, you can say things like, hey, I'm not sure how to ask this, but besides the X, Y, Z obvious impact of the problem, what else happens because of this thing? And it'll make it feel a lot less cringy than what would you do with all that time back in your calendar? Number two, before your tough questions... You can say things in a humbling disclaimer, such as, I recognize this may be out of bounds. I'm not sure how to ask this, or I'm just curious to know your world a little bit better. Number three, when you're talking about next steps, use let's just pretend language. It sounds like, hey, let's just pretend you walk away blown away by this thing. What happens next here? And then number four, the disco flow, that five minute monologue was absolute fire. It goes from high level context about your company to raising some issues, having the customer identify one of those big issues, dig in deep, get them to tell a story, ask them some impact questions, and then recap it all and play it back.
1: Alrighty, those are our four. Nick, how can people help us out? Well, the last time we recorded with Charles, I asked people to send me a humbling disclaimer in their LinkedIn connection request, and I got some really funny ones. And so if you're a new listener and you haven't connected with the good-looking hosts... Well, send us a LinkedIn request and instead of trying to sell us leads or saying your profile looks very interesting, let's connect. Toss a humbling disclaimer. Make me chuckle. I need a smile nowadays. Thanks for listening and we'll see you guys next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club.